Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The following episode is from Marxist University, a series of discussions held in the fall of 2020 to introduce people to the most fundamental and pressing Marxist ideas. Mental health problems are on the rise, and this should not come as a surprise to anyone. The capitalist system offers no future to the working class, and this creates a situation in which mental health problems proliferate. In this talk, Jessica Cassell, Marxist, therapist, and host of the podcast Roll Gun Mad, The Crisis of Capitalism and Mental Health, speaks on the connection between capitalism and mental health. Hi, everyone. As I'm sure you're all aware, because it's in the title of the event, we are facing nothing short of a mental health crisis globally. This is a reflection of the crisis, the generalized crisis of the capitalist system as a whole. In recent decades, depression, anxiety, addiction, and suicide have all surged to epidemic proportions. The World Health Organization names mental illness as the single leading cause of disability worldwide, and the same is true in Canada. In Canada, one in two Canadians have or have had a mental illness by the time they reach the age of 40. Opioid overdoses now account for more deaths in Canada than automobile accidents. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29 year olds globally. The same is here, the same goes for Canada, where it's surpassed only by accidental deaths. In 2016, the last year these stats were available, suicide accounted for 19% of deaths among youth aged 10 to 14 years old in Canada, and 30% among youth aged 15 to 19. I find those numbers to be quite astonishing, like almost a third of all deaths for youth aged 15 to 19 were, were, were suicide in Canada. Mental health challenges are on the rise. Millennials and Gen Z report higher levels of mental distress, depression, and anxiety than previous generations. The World Health Organization reports that depression rose by 18% globally since 2005. According to a survey of an Ontario university, um, students saw increases in anxiety by 50%, 47% in depression, and 47% increase in suicide attempts between 2013 and 2016 alone. So just in three years, that, those are astronomical uh, increases. When we're talking about at least 50% of the population meeting the criteria for a mental illness or experiencing extreme levels of mental distress, this is not simply a problem of individual pathology. When we're talking about increases of up to 50% in anxiety or suicide attempts among students, this cannot be explained away by the disease model of mental illness. To understand these stark numbers, we require a social and material analysis. We have to look at the organization of society and the prevailing conditions of life that characterize our society. So what has been happening socially and economically over the last few decades 
while mental health has been on the decline. Again, I'm sure this won't be a surprise to many of you, but our standards of living have been declining. Inequality has risen and economic and social instability has been increasing year by year. In North America, real wages have been stagnant since the 1970s, while the cost of living has skyrocketed. Life is getting harder and harder. Student and household debt has gone up astronomically. In Canada, household debt is 170% of household income. So people are literally drowning in debt. And for any of you who live with debt, I'm sure you know just how suffocating it can be. The majority of Americans and Canadians, two of the richest countries in the world, still live paycheck to paycheck, meaning they're just one paycheck away from potentially losing their home, becoming homeless, uh, not being able to pay their bills and so on. Rent is completely unaffordable in most major cities. Precarious work is the new normal. Maybe not even that new, it's been the case for a while. Social services and healthcare are being gutted and privatized everywhere. On top of all of this, we are witnessing the large scale environmental destruction and devastating impacts of climate change, ongoing war and conflict around the world, continued state violence and police brutality, continued systemic oppression and discrimination. Here in what is now Canada, many First Nations and Inuit communities continue to suffer from the ongoing legacy of colonialism, continued racism and oppression, and deplorable living conditions on some reserves, which has culminated in a suicide crisis in recent years, particularly among youth. Now, all of this is being severely exasper exacerbated by the pandemic and the increased uncertainty, instability, unemployment, fear, and isolation that has been brought about as a result. The depth of the pandemic and scope of the pandemic is a direct result of decades of privatizations, austerity, and underfunding to public health, uh, and is absolutely um, the result of, of the capitalist system's inability to, to deal with such a pandemic. So with all of this in mind, it's no wonder why mental health is on the decline. The conditions of life under capitalism are not conducive to human well-being, whether it be psychological or physical. This is very clear if we look at the components that make up optimal mental health. What makes up mental health is very well researched and the most common elements that come, uh, come out of study after study are self-realization, the ability to achieve self-realization where individuals are able to express themselves and live out their potential, having a sense of autonomy and control over our lives, having a sense of purpose and meaning, achieving social connection and meaningful relationships, possessing a sense of optimism and hope. The World Health Organization also recognizes several social and economic factors that are necessary prerequisites for mental health. And these are civil, political, and economic rights, employment and financial security, freedom from discrimination and violence, access to housing and nutrition, access to education and training, and rich community networks and services. Does any of this sound like the norm under the capitalist system today. 
obviously this is not the case. Capitalism systematically undermines all of these conditions. It systematically undermines and erodes all the requirements for human mental and physical well-being. Capitalism is first and foremost a system based around production for private profit. So under capitalism, things are not produced to meet the needs of humanity. They are primarily produced to generate profit for the capitalist class, a tiny minority who concentrates more and more wealth in their hands at the expense of the majority. The conditions of life under capitalism for the vast majority of people on the planet are characterized by exploitation, whereby the wealth we generate through our labor is appropriated privately by the bosses, by competition, where we are all pit against each other in the struggle to survive, competing for jobs, acceptance into higher education, childcare spots, places to live, as well as for social status or image. By alienation, which is the estrangement from the process of labor, the products of our own labor, and from ourselves and one another, coercion and violence. This is a central condition of life, defining feature of capitalism, I would say. Because the capitalist class is a small minority, they require a coercive apparatus to maintain their conditions of production and exchange and to keep the majority of the exploited in check. This is the state, its laws, courts, and police. So coercion is a defining feature of life for the vast majority of people on this planet. Poor and working class uh, and oppressed communities are policed, surveilled, and criminalized. When the oppressed fight back, we are met with state persecution. We're seeing this all over the world. Not too long ago in Canada, uh, we saw the RCMP raids on, on ceded Wet'suwet'en territory. We're seeing the brutal police repression of the BLM movement sweeping across the United States and so on. Meanwhile, the rich and powerful, for the most part, are above the law. So coercion and violence permeate all aspects of life under capitalism, and this is especially true for historically oppressed groups. Oppression and discrimination is also a defining feature of the capitalist system. Capitalism relies on oppression to justify imperialism and colonization, to justify paying sectors of the working class less causing us all to compete in a race to the bottom while driving up profits. And it serves the social function of dividing the exploited so that we do not unite against our common oppressor. If you think back to the components of optimal mental health that I mentioned, it's obvious that the conditions of life under capitalism are not compatible with human need. How can we achieve self-realization or reach our potential if the vast majority of us are forced to work jobs that have nothing to do with our interests, talents, abilities, or the real genuine needs of our communities or humanity? How can we reach our full potential or achieve self-realization when education and training are inaccessible to so many people? When millions and millions of people are limited by poverty, unemployment, and overwork? How are people living with oppression, violence, persecution, war, and imperialist aggression supposed to reach their full potential. It's not possible under the system. 
our autonomy, a sense of control over our circumstances is also systematically undermined by the capitalist system. There is no genuine freedom under capitalism. We work or we go without. And when we do work, we have little say over that process. How things are produced and exchanged is not up to us. Our needs and interests and the needs and interests of our families and communities and the broader working class are subjugated to the stock markets, the job market, our bosses, our landlords and our creditors. Politically, we have no genuine autonomy under capitalism and this includes the so-called democratic countries. Many decisions that impact our day-to-day -day lives and our futures and the fate of the entire planet are made in boardrooms and at $10,000 a plate dinners. Um, so the next component that makes up is part of mental health is having a sense of purpose and meaning. Capitalism also under, undermines having a sense of meaning. It can be hard to feel a sense of purpose when the majority of your life is spent working for somebody else's profits at a job that you hate. And most people are not satisfied with their work. 85% of people globally are disengaged and unsatisfied at work. The vast majority of humanity and work is a central human activity that we organize our entire lives around. It takes up much of our time and energy. So if we're dissatisfied at work, that's going to have an impact on our psychological state, on our mental well-being. This leaves many people feeling alienated and struggling, struggling with feelings of not having a purpose. A sense of optimism and hope is also a core component of mental health. Well, it can be pretty hard to be optimistic and hopeful when the future that capitalism offers us is so damn bleak, you know? Um, it's, for some people, it's easier to envision the end of civilization as we know it than it is to envision an alternative. Of course, it's the job of revolutionaries to tell them that there is an alternative, but without that information, things look pretty bleak. There is no future for youth and workers under capitalism. Many of us are living through the second global recession of our lifetime. We've known nothing but crisis. All life on the planet is threatened by environmental destruction spurred by the profit motive. So capitalism undermines our ability to feel hopeful and optimistic. The last component was, a social, was the ability to have meaningful relationships and social connectivity. This is a central element of what it means to be human. We are actually wired to, ha to have human connection. It's how we've survived and evolved. But capitalism engenders isolation and impedes connection in so many ways. It does so by pitting us against each other in competition and dividing us with oppression and discrimination. It isolates us by overworking and exhausting us. It isolates us further through austerity and cuts to social funding that erodes public spaces, community programs, and social services that would serve the function of community and social connectivity. The profit motive also uses marketing to get us all to compare ourselves to one another. And this also distorts how we relate to each other on a human level, as does the commodification of all aspects of life. Millennials are facing record levels of isolation and loneliness. 
they're said to actually be the loneliest generation. In a recent study, millennials were, 22% uh, of millennials reported having zero friends, no friends whatsoever. Close to 30% stated they had zero close friends and another 25% said they had no acquaintances. So this is on the rise. Each generation seems to get more socially isolated and lonelier. We, have, we cannot connect because the conditions of life make it so hard to do so in so many ways. Loneliness and social isolation is a major killer. It's linked to depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, and premature deaths. A recent study uh, done or published in the journal called Trends in Cognitive Sciences actually found that loneliness can have a profound impact on the brain and insufficient social stimulation affects our reasoning and memory performances, our hormone homeostasis, our amount of gray and white matter, our, our brain's connectivity and ability to function, and its resilience to mental and physical disease. The study also found that feeling lonely can directly impair people's immune systems, which makes them less resistant to disease and infections. This really goes to show how important social connectivity is to human well-being, but capitalism undermines it at every turn. Looking at the social and economic prerequisites for mental health mentioned by the World Health Organization, these are all systematically undermined by capitalism as well. Civil, political, and economic rights are constantly being trampled and undermined. The rights that we do have, we had to fight for on the streets and in the picket lines, but the capitalist class will not hesitate to take them away whenever they get a chance or when those rights inconvenience them and their profit motive. The norm all around the world has been to criminalize strikes and protests when they arise. Indigenous rights are under attack. Trans rights are under attack. Women's rights are under attack. Capitalism is undermining what little rights that we do have. Economic participation and security. Well, as we know, unemployment and poverty are widening. Freedom from discrimination and violence. Both are inherent to the system. There is no capitalism without these, as I, as I previously mentioned. Access to housing and nutrition uh, is declining. It's getting more and more expensive and harder for people all around the world to achieve these things, as is access to education and training. So the social and economic factors that are required for mental health, because you have to have your needs met before you can even speak of mental health, are undermined by the capitalist system as well. So in my view, the global mental health crisis is ultimately the result of the discrepancy between human need, both physical and psychological, and the conditions of life under capitalism. That is the root of, of the crisis. And this is backed up in the research, where social factors are often the greatest predictor of mental illness. And there are many studies demonstrating the link between adverse life events and social inequality with mental health challenges. There is a large body of evidence that shows that the distribution of mental illness increases along with economic disadvantage. In the words of the World Health Organization, which is far from a leftist or radical Marxist organization, the pattern of social distribution to, of common mental illnesses is observed as a social class gradient. So it's a class issue. 
the lower people are on the social hierarchy, the more frequent, persistent, adverse experience one will have with less social buffers. Uh, and this is re reflected in higher rates of mental distress and illness among folks with more economic disadvantage. Some of the social and economic factors that are directly linked to an increase of mental illness include exposure to violence and conflict, low levels of educational attainment, natural disasters, stressful working environments, um, income inequality, food insecurity, hunger, unemployment, lack of housing, overcrowding, poor sanitation, and belonging to groups that experience oppression and discrimination. All of these stressors on our nervous system, our limbic system, our neurotransmitter regulation used to assess threats, safety, security, as well as our emotional processing. So when, when, the, when our systems are under constant strain from external stressors, this is sort of like revving a car engine repetitively nonstop. Constant exposure to these external stressors undermine these, our internal processes and cause dysregulation. This is precisely what trauma is. And capitalism is collectively traumatizing. Obviously to varying degrees of intensity and frequency, but the conditions of life under this system mean that the majority of people experience some degree of trauma in their lifetime. And this is also intergenerational, passed down from one generation to the next. I would argue that a bulk of what we experience as mental illness are our brain's very natural responses to an irrational and brutal system, a traumatic system that doesn't meet our needs and actually systematically threatens our sense of security and safety. Now, when Marxists argue for a social explanation for understanding mental health and mental illness, we're not saying that there isn't a biological component because everything that we think, feel, or do involves chemical changes in our brains. The point is that our social worlds and our environments profoundly our biological and cognitive processes. Even our genetic expression is heavily influenced by the environment and the social circumstances and life events that we, our parents, and their parents are exposed to. Certainly, understanding how and which biological processes impact our mental health is important, but it's far from the full story. And if we really want to address the skyrocketing levels of mental health challenges that are on the rise globally, we have to understand and tackle the social roots. The dominant approach under capitalism to explaining and responding to mental illness is an individualistic disease or medical model, where mental illness is either explained by underlying biological causes or genetic abnormalities. It's also explained from the cognitive model 
as the result of flawed reasoning or thinking of the individual. The solutions in both instances are individual in nature, treating the sick individual or treating the flawed thinking of the individual. One of the problems with the medical model in particular, and even certain cognitive models, is that they individualize and pathologize what are fundamentally social problems, telling us that mental illness represents an abnormal or flawed response to our environments, instead of meaningfully exploring those environments and how they cause us mental and emotional distress. You have to ask, what is a correct response and trauma of, of the capitalist system? Now, I'm not opposed to, and Marxists, I don't think, should be opposed uh, at all to the use of medicine or pharmaceuticals to alleviate the symptoms of mental illness. But it absolutely should not be for profit. For profit, the for-profit pharmaceutical industry produces pharmaceuticals not for human need, but for profit, of course. Right? And that research, there's uh, corners cut during the research process. Uh, sometimes research that um, shows potential risks is stifled or covered up. Um, meds are pushed sometimes like candy as a um, panacea to the mental health crisis instead of actually addressing the broader social roots. So we need to nationalize the pharmaceutical industry and put it under democratic workers' control. So every stage of research and production is done in the interest of human need and not for profit. Otherwise, there's a lot of harm that can be done with the misuse of these drugs. Mental health care is also enormously underfunded. Wait lists across the country can be months or even years for some services. Private therapy is inaccessible to millions and millions of people. Many people with complex or chronic mental health problems do not receive the full scope of care they need and end up cycling through the acute care system. So people are kept overnight for, for a week or two in home, and then they're sent out onto the streets with nothing but a sandwich, no social supports, and nothing about their life or, so, or circumstances has changed. So we need massive social funding into mental health services, and we need to make all forms of treatment and therapy accessible to all. And to do so, we should expropriate the funds from the billionaires, banks, and military budgets. We're told that there isn't enough money for mental health services and for healthcare services, uh, but we absolutely know that the wealth exists. It's just in the hands of the small minority. And we have to be clear, these two things on their own cannot solve the mental health crisis. As long as capitalism persists, each generation will be born bearing the scars of the system on their psyches and in their bodies. Medicine and therapy on their own, while capitalism persists, can only ever be band-aids because it's the system that is flawed and making people unwell. A sick society will create sick people. And expecting people to heal and get better on their own while nothing changes about their living conditions or social circumstances, is still putting the onus on the individual. So to meaningfully address the mental health crisis, we need social solutions. We have to fight for housing for all, universal health care, pharma care and dental, universal child care, 
fully publicly funded universal education and skills training, access to good nutrition, and a massive investment into community programs and spaces. These are all requirements to address the mental health crisis. Now the calculus class doesn't willingly hand these things over and we don't get them by asking nicely. These can only be achieved through mass collective action, through class struggle. Mass demonstrations, occupations, and strikes are the way that we can wrest these concessions from the ruling class. But we can't stop there because as long as we live in a society based on exploitation, competition, coercion, and oppression, our mental health will continue to suffer. And any gains that we have on through struggle will be threatened whenever the system enters into crisis. Reforms can be clawed back, they're not permanent. The only way to make them permanent is to fight for a society based on human need. It's for radical social transformation and nothing short of a socialist revolution. So as we fight for these things, we always have to link that to the need to fight against the capital system as a whole, which frankly cannot provide these reforms in the present day crisis anyways. It's through the struggle to transform society that we transform ourselves. The best way to reclaim the autonomy and sense of control over our own fates that capitalism has robbed us of is to take it into our own hands. The best way to reclaim a sense of meaning and purpose that capitalism systematically undermines is to unite in collective struggle to forge a new and better world that can meet the needs of the majority. So I invite all of you who are listening to join Fight Back in the INT in the fight for a better world that can realize human potential, both individual and collective, and address the mental health crisis at its root. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this alone. So if you agree with us, get involved. You can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fight Back, and on YouTube as Fight Back La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at Marxist.com. The music in this episode is General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. It can be found at souljazzorchestra.com. You can listen to World Gone Mad on anchor.fm slash world dash gone dash mad.